0: Hello and welcome to episode number 70 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this time what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be first of all giving you a little update as to why I've not been here for a little while Uh, but secondly I have another one of these little articles, one of these blogs that I found online and I just want to kind of go through that and uh, explain my kind of views on it so join me for episode number 70 of the Scottish History Podcast. So first of all folks, I just want to give you a little update as to why I've not been around for a couple of weeks. Uh, first of all, if you've been on Facebook, if you are if you follow me on Facebook then you'll probably know most of what I'm about to tell you. Um, but first of all, I did have my brother's wedding back on the 12th of December, so about 10 days ago, and uh, we had a lovely time. It was a, a good day, it was had by all, a um, couple of days later though. Uh, I woke up with uh, very bad flu-like symptoms, and I ended up testing positive for Omicron coronavirus. So for the last week, I have basically been sleeping Um, and not feeling uh, in any way up to doing anything. Um, With that in mind, um, basically what I've decided to do just for the next little while is to just try and put out as, as much content as I possibly can, uh, trying to obviously do that on a weekly basis. Um, but what I don't have obviously at this moment in time is a huge amount of time as well, with it being the Christmas period and everything like that too. Um, so I don't really have the time in order to do full research for proper history um, sort of episodes which has been disappointing for me I'm sure it's also been disappointing for you guys as well Um, but I I want to keep putting out content for you to be able to listen to um, because I enjoy putting out these podcasts Uh, also just uh, as a sort of another thing as well it's now officially been two years I started this podcast on the 21st of December uh, 2019 so we have now actually been going for two years as well so um, just once again folks as I do at the end of every episode but I want to take another little second just to say thank you so very much for everybody for listening and helping to grow this podcast to the to the size that we have been um, I'm very very happy with the way that things have turned out and uh, you're all fantastic, you're all amazing thank you very much for listening and of course to all those new people that are coming in and, and sort of just kind of getting to know uh, myself and things like that, um, you know as usual if you've got any questions or even any suggestions for any future episodes please let me know um, so, anyway, uh, this week what I wanted to do was I found another one of these blogs. The last one seemed to be quite uh, well received. So, I found another blog. This one's called catsgoneglobal.com. Uh, and as usual, I'll link uh, down in the sort of description box to the blog in question. Uh, So you can go across there and read what the author herself, uh, in this case, has to say. Um, But a little background. um, So Kat seems to have moved over to the UK from Australia, seems to live down in London, but has made quite a few little posts about Scotland and things. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through her article which is called 30 Things to Know Before Travelling to Scotland. Uh, Now this will be something that once full restrictions and everything like that have uh, been, have disappeared and that the world is kind of opening up properly, uh, this is another subject that I will be coming back to uh, as well, helping people with perhaps, you know, making a little road trip itinerary and things like that um and of course maybe talking to some of the tour companies who uh let's face it folks are going to be needing uh, as much support as they possibly can over the coming years uh to get themselves back to where it was even just say a couple of years ago um but this one, so 30 things to know before travelling to Scotland. I read through this one and uh, most, most of the points I do agree with, uh, but some of them I think uh, are maybe just a little bit short-sighted in a way. Um, so we'll, we'll go through them and uh, we'll see what we think. So we'll start first of all with uh, the first one and that is uh, Scotland is its own country and I mean I think we've pretty much established that uh, over the course of this podcast uh, indeed. Uh, Scotland is not a part of England, it is part of Britain, so the British Isles um, and in technically as well part of the United Kingdom it's one of the countries one of the four countries that makes up the United Kingdom Uh, Great Britain itself isn't a country Uh, Britain is the island uh, in which we're on so mainland Britain consists of Uh, Scotland, England and Wales Um, so Great Britain or the United Kingdom in a way also contains Northern Ireland so we're off to a good start on that one Scotland is indeed its own country please don't confuse it with uh, England or anything like that Um, another common thing which is mentioned in this article as well is the reference to Scottish people as Scotch people and it seems to be happening a lot more on these Facebook groups and things like that which I've come across now I do understand a lot of the time um, and on these groups a lot of people aren't native English speakers and things like that and, and, and I totally that that's it's, it's technically not acceptable to Scots I mean Scots will still argue with you about it um, but using the term Scotch to refer to the people is wrong don't do it uh, we really really don't like it So another one of the things to know before travelling to Scotland is, of course, bring the right clothes. Again, totally and utterly agree with this. Um, Like myself, I I went across to America a few years ago for New Year's um, and uh, I stupidly took just shorts and t-shirt because, you know, every time before then I'd went to Florida, that's all I needed and I got there and I realised it actually gets quite cold uh, in Florida at that time of year. Um, so then I had to go out and buy, um, Jeans and uh, hoodies to keep me warm Um, so obviously do your sort of research but when it comes to Scotland always bring the right clothes bring t-shirts I mean my sort of standard dress if I was going out even during the summer would probably consist of a a jumper or a hoodie with a t-shirt underneath so if you get too warm you can take your jumper off Um, a pair of jeans socks and shoes Uh, you know that's, that's pretty much all you need a hat if you like wearing hats you know, but make sure that you bring with you if you're coming from a from a a, a foreign country, I suppose, and um, bring with you everything that you're going to need. You're going to need a rain jacket. Uh, you're going to need extra socks, uh, most definitely, um, especially if it is raining and your normal socks get wet then it's easier to change into another pair of socks so I would usually say bring double the amount of pairs of socks that you would normally bring with you if it's during the winter bring double of the double amount because it's handy to wear two pairs of socks um definitely I find I mean that's what I wear every day in the winter I always wear two pairs of socks anyway so so yeah make sure that you bring the right clothing with you don't think that just because it's going to be the summer that you're not going to need a rain jacket or that you're not going to need a warm jumper bring warm clothes because if you get too warm you can always take those clothes off rather than it being too cold and not have enough to make yourself warmer kind of thing so In relation to the clothes, uh, bring comfortable walking shoes. So shoes that you're comfortable walking long distances in. Preferably a more kind of recent pair of shoes as well rather than an older pair because the cobbled streets in some of the cities, in Edinburgh and Stirling and things like that, um, you know, you want good grip. Uh, specifically and especially during the winter as well you know when it gets a little bit icy and uh, when it is a little bit wetter as well pavements get a little bit slippy so it's always good to have a good pair of walking shoes now I mean one of my favorite ever pairs of walking shoes that I've ever owned I bought for nine ninety nine from a shop called Decathlon Um they're brilliant uh, walking shoes and they're cheap and at the end of you, you can walk in and buy them from the Cathon and then at the end you, you can just leave them here or donate them to a charity shop or something like that you know what I mean it is uh, very very much a, um, a thing worth mentioning is to make sure that you have comfortable walking shoes because in most cases it is easier to get around by walking especially if you are in Edinburgh in Glasgow in Stirling you're going to find it a lot easier to walk around than you are to drive, uh, specifically. Uh, Public transport and things like that is very, very handy, um, but I always recommend a nice, comfortable pair of shoes, maybe even a couple of comfortable pairs of shoes. This is one of the ones, the next one, is one of the ones that I kind of, in a way, disagree with, and that is avoid August in Edinburgh unless you're attending the Fringe Festival. Um... I say combine August with the festival and being here. August is a great time to be in Edinburgh because there's so much happening all throughout the course of the day. Um, You know, especially if you want to kind of feel that touristy... Feeling of being in in a, in a wonderful magical city like Edinburgh, you're going to find walking tours. You're going to have the bagpipers out on the street. You're going to have these amazing street performers performing out in the street for free. Um, there's amazing comedians, musicians, artists that come from all over the world just to be at the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh. If you if it gets too much for you, you can book day tours from Edinburgh City so that I mean that was my favourite time ever to do tours um, was the fact that yes I was escaping Edinburgh for the day uh, or a few days you know if I was off to Sky or something like that but you know because it would give everything everybody on the bus would then have something to talk about you know and it gives you something extra to talk about oh we saw this amazing performer performing the bagpipes on a unicycle and the bagpipes had fire coming out of them you know that kind of thing um, and that gives something for you to talk about especially when you get home memories which will live on forever Um, if you are only ever going to plan on visiting Edinburgh once in your lifetime August is the perfect time to do it and come for two or three weeks spend that time Um, it is a lot more expensive I'm not going to lie especially with uh, accommodation and things like that but you know, if you're able to afford it, if you're able to come over during August, it is a fantastic time to be in Edinburgh. Because, um, yeah, it's just it is a great, great time. So, don't avoid Edinburgh during August unless you don't like it busy. If you don't like somewhere being very, very busy, then, yeah, fair enough. Avoid Edinburgh then. But also avoid it during Easter, if that's the case. Because Easter is the busiest tourist weekend in Scotland um, and in elsewhere in the world as well um, so yeah yeah. but Easter is the time when we get probably the best weather uh, or certainly the most predictable weather in Scotland so you know there, there is no right or wrong time to come but I would never ever recommend someone don't come during August uh, next up is book accommodation in advance definitely if you want to stay in somewhere somewhere small, like Glencoe, even Fort William itself is quite small, uh, just kind of reading from this article. Sky, very small. Inverness, there are plenty of places in Inverness, but if you want... Uh, I, I always recommend a bed and breakfast in, uh, in Inverness. I find that the, the quality of the accommodation in a bed and breakfast in Inverness is just as good as the quality of the... Um, hotels, Uh, in fact for my brother Stagdo we actually stayed in a kind of hostel kind of rooms thing, Uh, it wasn't quite a hostel but it wasn't quite a bed and breakfast uh, but it was very 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 good very very comfortable and things like that but without question book your accommodation in advance don't just think that you can rock up in the middle of summer to the Isle of Skye and be able to just walk into a hotel from what I remember there are like four hotels or five hotels on the entire island in Skye um, so you're not going to be able to get a hotel especially if you're very pernickety about hotels in general most of them are two or three stars they're, they're not much more than that um, so they're not as good as you think that they're going to be bed and breakfast all the way you also get that little personal touch you might even be lucky get yourself a little shortbread biscuit on your pillow in the morning uh, which is what you want really good way to start the day So next up, uh, explore Scotland off the beaten path. Definitely go places that not everybody goes to. Uh, Like, for example, everyone will head out to Stirlingshire and go to Stirling Castle, go to Dune Castle. Uh, You know, visit the Deanston Distillery, which is just down the road from from Dune. Head towards Calendar, go into Calendar um, and go to some of the the small little bakeries and things like that in Calendar. Um, There are so many, many places that people tend to avoid... Um, when they come to Scotland, and and it's it is hard if you don't know the country, it is hard to visit places that aren't on the beaten path, um, you know. But places like uh, Orkney and things, not very many people will chance their arm and go all the way up to Orkney. Uh, everyone will do the North Coast Five Hundred. I mean, the North Coast Five Hundred. If that's your type of thing, then brilliant. But you'll get so much more out of your visit by going somewhere like. Orkney or the the islands, you know, to Lewis and Harris and places like that. You will get so much more out of your experience of being in the country, of going to these sorts of places, than you will be of just going to the places that every single person has heard of. Now, if you are going to be doing some island hopping, make sure that you book your ferry crossings in advance, especially if you're going to be, say, for example, following the train line from Fort William to Malague, uh, like the Jacobite steam train, you know, if you're driving you get to Malague, you can get the ferry from Malague, you can go across to Armadale on Sky, you can go to Rum, Egg all of these uh, other smaller islands and things like that but again, don't just expect to be able to rock up on the day and to be able to get them. When you book your flights, book your ferry crossings if you're going to any of the islands. You don't have to book a ferry crossing to go across the sky there is a freeway to go across the sky it's called a bridge right um but it depends on which side of which you're coming from to go from fort william to the sky bridge is a good hour and a half drive uh, down some pretty narrow roads um as well but it is a beautiful beautiful drive along there because you go through glenshield um and that's one of my kind of favorite wee drives to do and you get to go right past the castle and things like that so yeah book ferry crossings in advance. The next one is don't drive. Try the Spirit of Scotland Travel Pass. In a way, I, I can agree with this in in one way, and I can agree, uh, I can disagree in others, right? So that this travel pass, which I've not really looked into, I should have in hindsight. But the travel pass includes travel on trains, buses, coaches, and ferries. But unfortunately, trains, buses, coaches, and ferries don't go everywhere that you might want to go. So rent a car if you feel that you're going to need one and you want that privacy as well. That's one of the handy things of is you can drive a... You're not limited to... You can stay out until midnight during the summer in Orkney, for example, when it never gets dark. Uh, You know, you can drive around Orkney all night long, never gets dark. Whereas if you want to catch a bus around Orkney, the last one might be around about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the evening. So, you know, you are kind of stuck there. Um, so drive if it makes sense to you but there are public transport options is probably what that should really say again if you're going somewhere like uh, Oban you can get there by train on the same day and things like that Um, but yeah drive if you want to but if you find that it's going to be cheaper and better for yourself to use public transport then do that now what is the difference between Scottish and British money? Um yeah, I think we kind of mentioned this one in the last episode. Um it shouldn't really be called British money though. Um so the difference between Scottish and British money. Um Right, so so basically uh, just just kind of read the first line from this article here. So the Bank of England is the central bank for the UK. It is a legal tender that must be accepted throughout the UK. Um, Must be accepted? Mm, Not legally. Um, All shop owners have the right to uh, deny the use of paper banknotes. Or polymer as they now are, um, anywhere in the UK. So, if, if I owned the shop and someone came in with an English £10 note, I could refuse that. I would have to have a really good reason as to why not, uh, but I could refuse the note. Um, so, in Scotland, as mentioned before, the retail banks are the Bank of Scotland, the Royal Bank of Scotland, and the Clydesdale Bank. And we, and sorry, all of them have their own banknotes. Um, So the article then continues, these are legal currencies that can be used to pay for goods and services but outside of Scotland you may find businesses a little more reluctant to accept them. This is because they are not issued by the Bank of England. Bank of England was created by a Scotsman but there you go. If you find yourself in other countries of the UK and not accepting your Scottish banknotes pop into a bank to get them exchanged. You can do this, it's an absolute pain in the arse to do that. Um, but most of the time nowadays everybody just uses card anyway. Um, So you can use contactless card payments nowadays for virtually anything. I mean you can now even pay for your bus fare using a contactless card. So to be honest the the, the whole thing of using actual paper money has started to decline. There are some places uh, that do accept cash only but it's very very rare and it's usually there's a bank machine right next to the shop uh, where that will be the case so um so yeah the, the, this the, the whole difference between scottish and i don't like that term british money um but uh yeah the difference between them there is no kind of real difference as such they just look different um but yeah we kind of um went through that in the last episode, but it's kind of a contentious issue, so I'll leave it there. Uh, Invest in a National Trust membership. Again, I would disagree with that. Um, If you're only going to be visiting National Trust properties, then it makes sense. Uh, because national trust organisations also work down in England, Northern Ireland and Wales. So if you're going to be doing a tour of the UK, um, most of the time when you go to England, it's going to be a national trust property. Up in Scotland, we have a few national trust properties, but not all of them are. We also do have the Historic environments, uh, Historical Environment, Scotland, um, or just Historical Scotland um, passes as well. Um, and again, depending on what you... So if you're going to Edinburgh Castle, Stirling Castle, say Dune Castle, and then venturing up to Orkney, I would recommend you get the Explorer Pass for Historical Environment Scotland because you'll get into all of those sites for a set price. Um, even if you're just doing Edinburgh and Stirling Castles, it's better to buy the Explorer Pass anyway because it's actually cheaper than paying the two separate entries so basically just be kind of candid in looking up where it is that you're going to be going to uh usually at the desk they ask these questions anyway are you going you know so Edinburgh they'll ask you are you going to Stirling Castle as well and they'll give you the pass for both um and again that makes sense in terms of national trust membership there. are there are a few national trust properties in Scotland, but there's not really that many to make it worth to make it worth it. Um, Culloden, for example, is a national trust property. If you're only going there, it only costs you what thirteen pounds an adult or something like that. I say only. I mean that is quite expensive, but if you go with a tour group, you usually get a massive, massive discount. I think we used to. Get our discount was about 6 or £7 I think if I remember rightly and you just had to go to the desk and and say that you were with a tour group so uh, yeah Um, so I wouldn't say investing in a National Trust membership would be ideal but again look into the sites that you're going to before you get there Um, just for their prices Uh, obviously don't read up about the history because it's better to do it when you get there kind of thing or of course listen to this podcast if I've covered it but yeah um, so we'll move on again. Um, now Edinburgh is colder but Glasgow is wetter. Yes uh, the west coast of Scotland is frequently known as the wet coast of Scotland. Edinburgh is uh, a little bit closer to the sea. Yeah yeah so it is a little bit colder and it is a bit windier and things like that But uh, but yeah I think that probably is very very correct. Glasgow tends to be wet whereas Edinburgh tends to be cold. I'd agree with that yeah Uh, next up we've got narrow roads so I think we can kind of combine this with the driving one I think I've mentioned this a few times before the roads in Scotland are quite small especially if you're used to driving on four five six seven eight nine ten lane highways or freeways or whatever they're called um in America or Australia and things like that um the most amount of lanes that we have on a motorway at any given time 99% of the time you have two lanes you've got the inside lane which is known as the slow lane and then the fast lane which is for overtaking in which case you move back over into the slow lane once you have overtaken Uh, yeah so when you're looking to rent a car and things like that don't like rent a massive bus just rent something that is the size that you're gonna need. Because again, if you're going to the Isle of Skye for for you know for a, for a few days, and you're driving up there, the roads are very very small. And if you're not used to handling a large vehicle on small roads, it can make for a very torrid time for you. Um, so yeah, bear in mind that our roads are very narrow in comparison to other places in the world. Uh, you won't really see people wearing kilts, uh, totally and utterly true, usually on Princess Street or on the Royal Mile uh, and unless you gate crash a wedding. But again, I think we've kind of explained that one before, so we'll move on. Explore the natural beauty of Scotland. The natural beauty of Scotland is everywhere, you just need to step out of your place that you're staying and you're only maybe a couple of minutes away from some kind of natural be- or naturally beautiful thing. Um, but there are great places, uh, this place, right? Uh, so this uh, um, catsgoneglobal.com recommends Fingal's Cave, um, which is uh, the Isle of Staffa. So, you know, you need to get a boat out to there. Um, and I also recommend stargazing in the Galloway Forest Park. Now, I've not seen either of these things. I would love to do the stargazing in Galloway Forest Park. I would love to go and see Fingal's Cave as well. Um, but uh, I think it's more likely that you'd find me lying on the ground staring at the stars than sitting on a boat for an extended period of time. Um, but yes, yeah, so explore the natural stuff. Uh, you know, if you're going to Glencoe, don't just make a beeline straight for Glencoe. You you go through Ranach Moor, which is a site of special scientific interest. the Place is absolutely fascinating. You just pull over at the side of the road where there's a, a nice gap or a parking space, and get out and just go for a little wander uh, in the in the peat bogs. It is magnificent. So next up, you might experience a language barrier. Uh, yep, yeah, the Scottish accent is quite difficult to understand, I understand that, but it's, it's for a lot of people. Um, I wouldn't quite say a language barrier, in, in, in all fairness, the article does have uh, quotation marks around language barrier. Um, but if you are struggling to understand someone when you're in Scotland, don't um, don't over-egg it, but basically just say, Listen, I'm really, really sorry, I didn't understand what you said, would you mind explaining that a little bit slower? And we'll have no problem in doing that. But when you just go, what? Oh, what's this guy saying? I don't understand. Oh, this this is this is just, this is a foreign language. I don't, you know, it, it, it is quite hurtful to us at times. And, and a lot of people do overegg egg it. Um, it is something that's kind of become a bit of a stereotype, especially on TV shows and things like that. But uh, yeah, if you've got a problem understanding us, tell us to slow down or tell us to explain it in a different way and it'll make more sense. Now this one I I do remember, so the next one I remember reading this and, um, yeah, thinking that it was maybe a little bit, not wrong, but, uh, yeah, so Scottish Gaelic. English is the main language, however, the Celtic language of Gaelic is still spoken throughout Scotland and it is considered the founding language of the country. Uh, Partly true don't be surprised when you see bilingual road signs, discover the TV channel dedicated to Gaelic or hear people speaking it in the Highlands now, there's nothing really wrong with that um, apart from, you know, again there's only about 60,000 out of the 5.5 million people that live in Scotland that speak Gaelic fluently, and it 's mostly heard in the outer hebrides um, so unless you 're in the outer hebrides you 're not really going to hear someone speaking you know if you so this the, the article kind of wrongly would say that hear people speaking in the highlands you know if you got to Fort William most people that live in Fort William have you know migrated from England Uh, they all have English accents and things like that you know so it's it's very very unlikely that you're going to find someone who speaks Scottish Gaelic in a conversational uh, sense it's very difficult I mean that's I always wanted to learn to speak Scots Gaelic but it's difficult when you don't have someone to converse with and someone to learn from, um, you know. So, and that's in the biggest, or the, sorry, not the biggest city, but the most major city in, 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 or one of the most major cities in the entire country. It's difficult to find anyone to help you learn how to speak Scots Gaelic. So, so yeah, it's lovely when you do hear it, but the chances of you hearing it are, again, like a million to one probably. Now, paying with debit and credit cards, I've already explained that. Most definitely bring a travel card, um, like one of these kind of top up cards. Uh, we mostly accept Visa and MasterCard. Uh, American Express, uh, this article does say that most major retailers will accept American Express. Um, however, Hardly anybody in the UK uses American Express, so make sure that you got a Visa or a MasterCard, uh, either a credit or debit card, and you'll get on just fine. If it's contactless, it makes things a whole load easier for you as well. Uh, so, next one is tour responsibility. Um, definitely, I think we kind of talked about that one before as well, taking care of the landscape mostly comes down to common sense, such as leaving sites, how you found them, taking litter away and not dropping waste, it conflicts with the natural ecosystem um, don't drop waste at all, uh, take it all away with you, um, but yeah, tour responsibility, this then recommends uh, a couple, or, or sorry, recommends a organised tour company, um, of which I mean I could recommend hundreds to you um, so I'm not going to pick out like just the largest one um, but yeah, uh, if you're gonna, if you're unsure about what you what you want, or you're sure about what you want to go and see, but you're unsure about driving and things like that, use one of these tour companies. They are fantastic at what they do. They've been going for you know a lot of them being going for a, a lot longer than ten years and things like that. So they are fantastic, and they do help you out when and where they can too. But go on an epic road trip is the next one. Uh, The best way to really explore Scotland is by car. Totally and utterly agree. But make up your own road trip. Don't just do the North Coast 500. Don't just do the East Coast 250 or whatever the heck it's called. There's so many great places to go and see. Again, I will more than happily help you with a wee itinerary if you want to send me a little message. I will more than happily help you. Um, But yeah, uh, driving around Scotland is much easier than you think. Um, But a lot of people do have... um, Reasons why they wouldn't want to try driving across here, and that's totally and utterly fine. In which case, use one of these tour companies, book someone on a private tour. You usually find that will cost just a little bit more than you know, renting a vehicle um, for yourself. So, yeah, uh, visit a lock that is not Loch Ness. I think we tried, uh, I explained that one before. Definitely go and see Loch Ness, but there are a lot nicer locks to go and see um and things like that yeah try visiting some of the smaller islands definitely uh, so sky mull and isla they kind of tend to be the the most popular ones uh definitely try rum egg muck or canna is what this uh what this article recommends um, but yeah, places like Arran as well. Uh, beautiful, beautiful places. Uh, so many great little islands to go and visit. Uh, you know, I mean, there are, what, over 900 of them. Um, so plenty of choice. Plenty of choice for the small islands. Definitely, if you can, go across there. Yeah. So the next one is, there is no such thing as trespassing in Scotland. Now, technically there is, but technically the article is correct too. Um, yeah, basically what it means is we, we do have this act called the Freedom to Roam Act. And uh, what that means is, you know, if you want to go and see a standing stone in the middle of a field, as long as you're looking after that field, make sure that you close a gate or you don't do any damage, then it's totally and utterly fine. You might have somebody come up to you and ask what it is that you're doing. You just explain very politely what it is that you're doing, that you're, you know, you're not like moving into the land or anything like that. Uh, Then that'll be fine. Um, you know so technically there's no such thing as trespassing in Scotland Um, you won't find many people running out their houses with guns uh, specifically so you know the worst that you're going to get is is a chase um, probably Uh, and if you get caught which I would hope that no one would ever do this to you, um, but you know if you do get caught, maybe just a, a swift punch. Um, but yeah, moving on. Uh, watch out for the midges. Yeah, this is one of the things that pops up round about the summertime. Uh, Mention especially on these uh, Facebook groups and things like that. Watch out for the midges. You get loads of people. Who say, I want to come to Scotland, but I don't want the midges and things. It's like they're just part of it. Basically, midges are like kind of small flies um, and basically what happens is when it's very sort of humid and uh, when the air is a little bit wet these things kind of come out and it's the it's the female midge the male midges are totally and utterly fine it's the female midges you got to worry about in this case and what they do is they give you a nasty wee bite kind of like a mosquito but they're tiny you can barely see them um, so they give you a nasty wee bite and then for a wee bit of extra biology and uh, maybe a wee bit of extra knowledge for you, uh, they pee on you then as well. You don't obviously smell that. Um, but yeah, th- there's 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 ways to kind of get around the midges. You see um, some people, mainly tourists, I've never seen a Scots person wear one, but you get these kind of like nets for your face and things like that. Genuinely, they're not going to bother you unless you're walking really through like... uh, It tends to be near water and grass. So if you walk across like grass, wet grass and things like that during the course of the very kind of humid time, uh, then midges will appear. Um, But really, aside from that, um, the best things that you can buy is called smidge. Uh, is a brand name I think but uh, it's just a kind of thing that you spray on yourself and it tends to repel them um, Avon skin so soft it used to be good but they changed the recipe so it's no as good anymore but yeah I, I mean I used to work outside I was outside all the time and uh, I can't remember the last time that I had a sort of severe case of the midges so yeah they're they're not as uh, prominent as you think they are but they are annoying, but yeah So next up stand your ground at the pub bars and pubs do not do table service unless it's 2020 2021 uh, and also now technically 2022 um yeah so basically if you want a, if you're in a pub so there's a difference between a pub and a restaurant um in the pub uh, where it's basically just a bar um, and that bar may sell food Uh, then you order at the bar Um, you won't have a waiter or a waitress um, come up to you uh, and ask for your order Uh, you will have to go up to the bar so when you get up to the bar you basically slowly kind of not push but you basically slowly push your way to the to the front and then the best thing to do is to either have your card or some paper money in your hand and uh to grab the attention um but the best thing to do is don't whistle don't tap don't shout at the bar staff you just wait patiently and um this article also recommends buying in rounds which is fine so if you're with a bunch of people then you buy everyone at your table a drink and that's called a round um but yeah um I tend to go to quieter bars so I don't really have to do that. At this moment in time of the coronavirus thing we've just had to go back to doing table service Um, and I think that's for the next three weeks. So yeah, um, but unless you're at a restaurant, restaurant will do um, table service but if you're at a bar, just at a pub, you are there at the bar. no one will come around and ask you even the person so the person who comes around and takes your empty glasses from your table they're not a waitress or a waiter. they're there to collect the glasses. they are usually um from if I remember rightly, I think you can start working in a pub when you're sixteen but you can't sell alcohol until you're eighteen so they usually tend to be kitchen staff who are there just to pick up your glasses. They are not there to serve you kind of thing. Uh, the next one is re- respect the queue. Definitely, if you're uh, in Britain, this, again, this is a kind of stereotype of British people that we love to queue. Now we don't love queuing. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we can do it without the need for the poles and the ropes, mostly. Um, you know, so if you go to Florida and places like that, you know, to a theme park, they will have a queue um, or a line, I think most people would call it. But yeah, so you kind of have, and but you've in order to keep you in the line, they have to enclose you any sort of barrier type of thing. Whereas in um, the UK, we we don't. We just we we have a system, and that basically means if there's someone in front of you, you get behind them, and then the next person will stand behind you, and then so on and so forth. Um, please don't try skipping the queue just because you're only buying a box of chewing gum it will be very annoying but nowadays in a lot of shops especially supermarkets and things have to be self checkout things so you go over and you can pretend to be a checkout person uh, scan your thing pay the money walk out boom there you go done the next one is drink your whiskey right now i think again as i've explained there's no right way and there's no wrong way to drink whiskey as such if you've bought it it's yours you can do with it what you like but yes it is true that we do not tend to mix our Single malt specifically with uh, soft drinks uh, such as Coke. Um, but you can have ice, you can have water, you can have whatever it is that you want with it, you can have it. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there is no right way or wrong way to drink whiskey. Um, but uh, there's definitely a way in which we prefer it, and we tend to prefer it without ice, without water, sometimes with a little dash of water. Um, but everyone's taste is different, as I've explained before. So would treat your whiskey the way that you wish to treat your whiskey, but you will not be looked at very kindly in a pub if you ask for a single malt whiskey, especially like an 18 or a 20-year-old whiskey, with Coke or anything else. Haggis is great, but there is more to eat. Yeah, of course there is. There's tons that you can eat in Scotland. We're not just all about haggis. You literally get anything that you want. Um, you know we have uh, so many different cultures and things like that in Scotland in general um, you know we have Chinese food, we have Indian food, we have uh, American food. You know if you want a McDonald's, if you want a Burger King, a Pizza a Domino's, whatever you can go and find it. Uh, you can have Nando's. You can there's Spanish restaurants, Japanese restaurants literally anything that you want. Um, you can go and you can go and have. Um, but while you're here, yeah, have haggis, have have it in a traditional place, or go to a chip shop and have um, fish and chips, proper fish and chips, not from a restaurant from a chip shop eating out of a bag um, or a paper bag usually on a cardboard plate with lots of salt and sauce so yeah there are plenty of things to eat in Scotland don't just think that we're all about haggis uh, carrying on from that the next one says try some different local delicacies yeah tons of it um, so then this recommends iron brew definitely have iron brew it doesn't taste like bubble gum please stop saying it tastes like bubble gum it tastes nothing like bubble gum if you want a bubble gum flavoured drink then bars the company that makes iron brew makes a bubble glum, bu- bloop, a bubble gum flavoured drink so it doesn't taste anything like bubble gum because iron brew tastes like iron brew uh, shortbread, try shortbread of course if you've never had shortbread I mean where have you been um, it's like crack, it's amazing uh, you'll just want to eat that all the time and your teeth will fall out uh, oat cakes yeah, put stuff on oat cakes don't just eat them um, deer seem to like oat cakes probably bad for them um, but yeah I used to feed them oat cakes uh, and now I'm going to get a letter from Pita. Cullen skink, definitely. Cullen skink is amazing. Uh, smoked fish soup. Num nom nom. Tasty, tasty, tasty. Stovies. Stovies are delicious. Uh, Stovies are kind of traditionally um, made with the leftovers from a roast, like a kind of Sunday dinner. So it would usually be beef, um, potatoes, carrots, and onions and that sort of thing. And then kind of mashed up together and served with oat cakes or with crusty bread um, with loads and loads of butter uh, I like to make kind of them from scratch and I tend to make them with lorn sausage so that's a square sausage um, so it's like a steak sausage rather than pork um, and it's amazing you kind of chop it all up together with tatties and stuff. oh so so good uh, tunnock's tea cakes I wouldn't say are a local delicacy but definitely have a Tunnock's Tea Cake, but in my opinion, a Snowball is better. So a Tunnock's Snowball is better than a Tea Cake. Shoot me. Tablet is another one. Um, yeah, basically it's a, it's a sugar cube, um, but with condensed milk and butter melted into it. Um, it's kind of like fudge, but it has a weirder texture. I prefer fudge over tablet because fudge is softer and chewier, whereas tablet's kind of quite gritty and grainy. Uh, the next one says don't bother trying to drive in the cities I kind of said that earlier Um, it is much much easier to get around uh, via public transport in the cities but yeah um, depends on where it is that you're going you know Inverness quite easy to drive around um, but it is also easy to walk around so yeah it depends on where you are And where it is that you're going to be going to, uh, I would say maybe not drive. But yeah, again, whatever makes it easier for you. And uh, kind of lastly, I suppose, don't be offended if people aren't excited about your ancestry. I think we kind of covered that in the last episode of the podcast as well. So I think we'll just leave it kind of where I left it before. And uh, Kat has also given us some fast facts about Scotland so we'll run through these as well just to kind of um, make these up too so fast facts about Scotland Scotland uses the British pound GBP I suppose yeah sterling and it's sterling so sterling for the money is spelt with an e rather than an i and sterling so you got sterling and sterling sterling is the city sterling is the currency The national animal is a unicorn. If you didn't know that, again, where have you been? Glasgow is the largest city. Yep, Perth is the newest city. Scotland has over 2,000 castles. I believe it's actually over 3,000. Uh, the most popular being Edinburgh Castle, Stirling Castle, Urquhart Castle, St Andrew's Castle, and Dune Castle. Uh, yeah, I've not been to St Andrew's Castle in a long time. That's, there's, there we go. There's something else that I need to do next year. Most museums and art galleries are free to enter. Yes, this is one of my favorite ever things. Imagine my surprise when i went to amsterdam a couple of years ago i went to go to the van gogh museum i think it was and it was like 25 euros to get and i was like what museums are free but apparently only in the uk they're free drivers in scotland drive on the left hand side of the road yes i mean uh, why that's not number one i do not know Uh, but yeah drivers in Scotland drive on the left hand side of the road unless you are an Audi a BMW or a Mercedes driver in which case you're on the right hand side of the road overtaking all of the cars on the left hand side of the road because you've got no patience Um, Scots is a language but is no longer widely spoken all native Scots speak English Um, I would say that Scots is more widely spoken than Gaelic but there you go uh, Gaelic is still spoken but not by many people only around 60,000 people speak it now mostly in the Outer Hebrides yeah I mentioned that earlier Scotland is full of mountains mountains over 3,000 feet tall are called Munros, and there are 282 of them that is very very true we haven't really talked about mountains yet have we? Uh, there are over 120 whiskey distilleries in the country and you can tour many of them and have samples. Yes, that's the best part about visiting a whiskey distilleries, getting a sample, what it is that they're trying to peddle to you. There are 900 Scottish islands. Most of them are uninhabited. The main island groups are the Orkney Islands, the Shetland Islands, the Inner Hebrides and the Outer Hebrides. Yep, can't disagree with that. Scotland hosts many world famous festivals, such as Edinburgh's Hogmanay. Not this year; it's been cancelled again. The Edinburgh Fringe, the Stonehaven Fireball Festival. Not this year because it's been cancelled again. Celtic Connections and the Isla Festival of Music and Malt. I would. I've always wanted to go to Isla during the festival. Would um, be amazing to go there but uh, yeah and lastly Scotland has very long summer days and very long winter nights due to how far north it is in the summer you can expect daylight until 11pm during late June however in the winter you're looking at darkness by 5pm in the north Um, I would say you're looking at sort of darkness around about quarter to four, four o'clock nowadays. Uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, very, very sort of interesting article there. Uh, once again, this was found on catsgoneglobal.com. So that's spelled with a K. So K-A-T-S gone global.com. I'll link it down uh, below and uh, have a wee look through some of the uh, additional things that the author has written about this. Um, so once again, folks, I'll leave it there. It's been, again, quite a long one. So thank you very much for listening and uh, I will speak to you again soon, hopefully not too far in the the future Um, but again just things are going to be very very hectic over the course of the Christmas period for myself and of course I understand for yourselves as well so if I don't speak to you beforehand please have a very very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year I will hopefully try and set something up for maybe kind of New Year's Eve or something like that you know just a quick live thing on Facebook or something if that's uh, something that you would be interested in so, if uh, you want to keep in touch with me, do so via the Facebook page. So, Facebook.com forward slash Scott History Pod, uh, at Scott History Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Send me an email at Scott at gmail.com. And if you want to support the podcast in any way, you can do so via Patreon. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash Scott History Pod. So, once again, folks, thank you very much for listening. I will see you again next time.